Huli, huli, huli. Huliet. Huli, huli, huli. Oh my god, I exercised once yesterday. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> what about Dr. Teo? <laughs> it's not worth it. Life is hard. Welcome to Refresh This Week, where we're going to learn first about what you, dogs and cats can't eat, Juliet. I know. So there are so much. many so much. things. So Who knew? I can't main... believe I haven't poisoned my cats yet. I know. <laughs> so the main things I think I, know, I think of are chocolate. Yes. We know um, that one. We know that one. Yeah. Um, but there, the list is humongous. So I spoke to some experts from RSPCA Australia and Pets Australia. Mm. Um, and we spoke about first, you know, what dogs can't eat. Um, and I'll just kind of, there's heaps, so just head to the article to have a look at the whole list, but I'll pick yeah. out a few surprising ones. Um, so onions and garlic, yeah. really, really toxic. I know. What really, I know. <laughs> what really got me about this is because you said in your story, like, cause I would totally give Leftovers, like my mum's right? dog, like a little bit of pizza for yeah. a treat or whatever. But if it's got garlic and onion, or like, on maybe it. like some chicken left on your plate, yeah. you're like, Oh, here you go, little dog. Or but spaghetti bolognese. That's quite a common, like leftover. Oh, yeah. you know, totally. food to give to dogs. You'd be like mince. Enjoy. I basically yeah. use onion and garlic for the base of everything I cook. That's mental. Exactly. Yeah. So is it? It's toxic, is it? Well, yeah. So it's it's. I think it's um, in larger amounts, but you know, I think still it's, not ideal. It's not ideal. So just be careful with that. Same goes for like onion powder and garlic powder. Mm. Um, a few other ones were Poor dogs. Their food must be so tasteless. <laughs> <laughs> Avocado, um, yeast dough or bread dough. Oh, um, so no bread. Well, it says dough, dough. so I wonder dough. if cooking it kind of right, kind okay. of helps. But you may as well avoid it, just in case. Exactly. Um, grapes, raisins, sultanas, currants. This is one to be really careful of. Oh. So at Christmas, you know, you've got like those little yeah. puddings. Yes, Christmas cake. Yeah. So I think you just generally want to be careful of the leftovers that you potentially yeah. give dogs mm. because leftovers aren't necessarily bad for them, no, but just be careful. So if you're, if you're straying from traditional dog food and you're cooking your dog maybe some mm. meat or something, just cook it plain. Obviously. Yeah, possibly. Or they eat raw. Yeah. I don't know. But isn't talk- it also like, sorry, like that just if you're trying to be like super pet person and you're like, I'm going to cook you yeah. all your meals, like mm. that isn't that great either. No. Well, we spoke about actually what to feed them. And um, yes, I think a lot of people are tempted to do the whole home ed diet thing, mm. but it is often really unbalanced and quite dangerous for dogs yeah. and cats. They need totally different cats. nutrition than exactly. Humans do. You know, there's like their computer programs that are de- developing these kind of um, you know commercial foods. So yeah. just stick to um, for both dogs and cats. Yeah. Look for balanced and complete on dry or wet food. Okay. And there's also a few logos you want to see, like that it meets the Australian standards. Okay. So. And what yeah. about cats? Was there anything surprising with cats? So I mean, a lot of it was you and I should know. A I know. Bit. And I first found when I got my kittens that the um, the flat the amount of flowers you can't have in your house. You can't have tulips. You can't have lilies. You can't have no. so much. And so you're often gifted flowers. But I never really thought about it um, from a food perspective. I know. So they kind of overlap. So onions and um, garlic make the list again mm-hmm. because um, they're bulbs, and it's anything with a bulb. So yes, again, a tulip or whatever. F- it's that oh, family. Oh wow! Yeah, it's the bulb family. Damn bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> and and cats can't be vego. No, I learned as yes. well. There's a lot of debate, but you know, both both of these experts said no. They, they're pescatarian. <laughs> <laughs> they call what they what the, they are what they call obligate carnivores. So they they need meat, not like humans. We can kind of you yeah. know choose. Um, so yeah. 
just stick to those balanced and complete Again, options food. and just watch out for things like um, small pieces of raw bone. So you can give um, raw bones to cats, but make sure they're big enough that they won't swallow them. Right. So the so smaller the bone. It's like a toddler, really. Think of trekking yeah, hazards. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good and practice. And string, which is wrapped around um, rolled roasts or you know oh, those absorbent yeah. pads that you get with meat yes so look out that. for that um nuts fruit mm. seeds again the sultanas um yeah fatty trimmings and fatty foods yeah they no like good. humans they don't need they don't need the extra much fat. yeah just be careful guys. Yeah, i would totally do that like cutting a steak yes, or whatever and instead of putting it go. in the bin i'd yeah. be like here human i mean not human but I know. Yeah. Yeah, dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly wow learning so much uh, Emily, you wrote the next one, How to Find Cheap Flights. Mm. So this is something that always performs really well on the website. I think it was Jetstar that announced this morning they're doing um, Afterpay. Oh, which cool. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we all want cheap flights because essentially you're getting to the same place. How can we do it the cheapest? Yeah, so I wanted to look into it. Um, and I mean, we all know that there is like budget airlines and mm. you can forego meals and forego luggage and all that kind of stuff. But let's not talk about that stuff today. Yeah, that's different. Um of course, it's helpful to book early. We all know that. But there are actual specific times that are actually better to <laughs> I yeah. love this. It's like an algorithm. <laughs> yeah. So um, the uh, airlines have early bird flights, and apparently the best month for those to come out is October, mm. which is next month. So organize people. squirrel away some of your pay yes. this month. So you can check your annual leave balance. Yes, exactly, and um, yeah, and so t- um, so next month is really good for booking flights, particularly overseas flights, um, uh, and six to ten months generally is like the special window before okay. you book okay. something. So being a last minute person is not always a good idea. No, I mean, if, like, yeah, if we're just if we're talking about strictly saving as much as possible, yes, those are your time frames. Okay, think like a business person and do the opposite of I what they that tip. do. Yeah, so mm. if you've been sending, if you're a business person, and you're being sent away on business. Mm. Think about what flight would be best for you, mm. and then completely do the do opposite. The opposite. So yeah, do like, that, yeah. they'd be more expensive because yeah. of demand. So you know, Melbourne to Sydney on a Friday afternoon or Monday yeah. morning or yeah, exactly. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And internationally, think about it. If someone has to arrive, say, in Singapore on Monday morning, mm, when yes. does that mean they have to leave on yes. Sunday? Don't do so that. So therefore, don't do that. Oh, you got to be crafty. Opposite. Genius. Yes. Mm. And something else that I found really interesting was avoid the big travel travel hubs. So if you're going to Europe, for instance, yes. maybe don't fly London, into London. Right. Yeah, yeah, fly into right. like Manchester Scandinavia or, anywhere, or like yeah. anywhere. And, yeah, yeah, <laughs> wherever you can. Um, can. And um, if you're going to look like explore Europe, and that not only means that you get to check out a new like potentially random cool country yes. but you'll save money getting there totally as well have massive queues hopefully. and you can so easily fly out like everywhere the yeah flights are so cheap oh yeah and once you once you're in europe but yeah. you can just get one of those like super cheap flights yes. and or get a hire a car yeah, <laughs> yeah. Bob's yeah. your uncle bob's your uncle let's so. book a holiday <laughs> yay <laughs> the next one i wrote which performed so well so there's either a lot of unhappy couples or happy couples they just want to check if they're doing the right yeah, thing. yeah. so seven <laughs> things that happy couples do um, I found this so interesting because, you know, a lot of relationship stories can be a bit wishy-washy and a bit mm. cheesy. But this um, Melissa Ferrari, her name is, she's a relationship expert, and she brought it always back to science and chemistry in the brain. And so I really liked that because I was like, right, if I have to pash my husband, <laughs> if I have to, <laughs> if I have to, <laughs> I sent it to him. And he's like, we do six of the seven. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't, don't want to know. So the first one was kiss passionately once a day. And the reason is what happens in the brain. So it releases oxytocin, and oxytocin is uh, responsible for the feelings of comfort, care, and connection. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So you should have a pash, you know, 
once a day if you can, maybe. Try and squeeze it in. Yeah, and maybe maybe a passionate kiss is different for every couple, you know. Of course. Yeah, and it doesn't, doesn't always have to, have to like lead a... tomorrow if you've got a headache. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're tired. <laughs> but, you know, there's actually science-backed reasons why it makes you feel more connected. Do check-ins throughout the day. So that's an easy one. Just text each other. Say someone's not feeling well. You know, text at lunch, how are you feeling, honey? I think a lot of couples would probably do that yeah. anyway. Gaze into your partner's eyes. A bit creepy. Um, but you're meant to stare into each other's eyes. Um, it's the same emotion that's developed when a mother and a baby bond. Okay. So it's this connection of feeling united and feeling For loved. how long? I'm going to say a minute. I don't Maybe know. Maybe like in between, you know, on the ad break. Yeah, in an ad break. Instead of looking at Instagram, just stare at each other. Um, but that releases dopamine, oxytocin, and another one I've never heard of called vasopressin. So. Ooh. You know, it's proven. Walk in with a smile. That's a really good one. And I'm yeah. not great at that because, you know, you're like, you've had a bad day, but it's not yeah. that hard to be like, hi, honey. You know, it's not their fault that you've had a bad day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Daily gestures of gratitude. Again, that's not um, buying gifts. It's just being grateful for the legend that is your partner. Yeah, yeah that's nice. Um, yeah, and that can also just be doing little things for them, like bringing your wife a cup of tea in the morning yeah, or exactly. like whatever. Doing the dishes. Like Rich mm. loves Freddo. So occasionally if I'm at Woolies, I'll just chuck a Freddo in. It's 50 cents. And he's yeah. like, oh, you thought of me. And you know what? I'm and actually, then I eat it. This is, a, what my, this is what my mum taught me. But I find that if you get into the habit of doing that as a couple, you want to do it back for them. Like, yeah. like, oh, he bought me a Freddo. Like, yeah. It feels nicer to almost do it than receive it. Yeah. I love it. Whereas if you get into a space of you never do this, you never yeah. do this, you don't want to do things for them And then they either. give you flowers and you're like, what have you done? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say hello and goodbye. That's another, you know, important one as you would with anyone else. Yeah, when you true. get to work, you say hello. When you see your other friends, you say hello and goodbye. But you should do so with your partner as well. Yeah. Um, and then going to bed together, which I think can be a little bit tricky in this day and age. but um, Makes a big difference. Yeah, research shows that about three and a half years into a relationship, this is when this stops happening. So try and go to bed together at least some of the time when you can and have a good cuddle because that connection, again, releases all those happy hormones. On the weekend you could, I reckon. On the weekend you could unless my husband gets up and goes to the gym. And Mm. Anyway, whatevs, I'm working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Juliet, you also wrote this one, are cheat days bad or good? So we're talking about um, diet, obviously. Yes. Yes. So... (laughs) Not, not this any is other not kind of a relationship story. <laughs> so, oh gosh! I think we know the answer, but it was still well, really interesting. Well, I thought it was going to be a flat out no, yeah. but um, I spoke to Jessica Spenlove, who's a dietitian in Sydney, and she had some really interesting things to say. She basically said it really depends on how you approach it. So if you're approaching a cheat day because you've been restricting for two months or a month mm. and you're desperate for some kind of release mm. and you, you know, have a whole day's worth of calories in the one meal, mm. it's probably not a very healthy way to look at yeah. it. Mm. Whereas if you're, you know, eating really well and you're exercising and you're like, okay, I'm going to treat myself to a nice meal yeah. and then I'll you're happily in go a good back. Headspace. Yeah. 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 So I think that was the main difference. Yeah. Um, and you can see that in yourself, you know, you yeah. know when you're just like, all right, I'm going to have that bit of pizza or like, I hate my diet. Exactly. I'm, you know. Yeah, can and eat the entire thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it depends, you know, on on how often you're doing it. So if you're having a cheat day every day, it's yeah, probably just not a bad diet. <laughs> so, um, but what do they yeah. recommend for that? With a cheat day? Yeah, like well, do just, you have a whole day? Do you just have a meal? Do you have a couple of meals yeah. a week? Well, she know? was saying spread it out over the week. So yeah. one to two across the week. So instead of, you know, like building it up for a Saturday, yes. just maybe like if you're craving some chocolate or some yeah. ice cream on a Wednesday night, just listen, you know, to, your body. listen to your body and yeah. then maybe do it on the weekend again. So you have that balance. You've got that light and shade and you're not like over-restricting. Yeah, you don't but have you're not to have it on Saturday night at 7 p.m. every week. Yeah, and, you know, you exactly. can't have a social life because of it. 
Um, one thing that was really interesting, though, because um, there's quite a there's a quite a lot of information out there that says that cheat days actually help fire up your metabolism. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's a bit too good to be true. No, but I've there, heard this. It's actually kind of true. So it's not that it's the cheat meal. It's just that you're switching up your diet and yes. that kind of different shocks your metabolism. Different, yeah, different macros. Kind of, yeah, and yeah. gets it into gear. So that's another kind of way to look at it. But again, it needs to be a shock to the system, not expected to the system. Yeah, so I know. it can't be <laughs> how you eat every day. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the metabolism is not shocked right now. It's just disappointing. <laughs> Um, so now we're going to cross back to Brad McKay. He was in the office recently. LJ interviewed him. He's the doctor from Embarrassing Bodies and he is fascinating. So we're just going to hear a clip from him now on contraception and then uh, the HIV medication prep. Now, Dr. Brad, we need to talk about contraception, the different options available. How about we start with early withdrawal? Does it actually work? <laughs> Does anyone still do that? It's something we've read about time and time again. What's your recommendation? Well, the withdrawal method is probably the, the most uh, well-used, I suppose. Uh, it is cheap. It's been uh, used throughout the, the do- from the dawn of yes. time, I'm sure, from the dawn of humanity. So, But the, the whole thing is that it's not very successful. We find that if... Uh, if a hundred people are using the withdrawal method as their only form of contraception, um, that about uh, 22%, so 22 of those 100 people will get pregnant by the end of 12 months. So it's not that successful, particularly if you're in one of those 22 couples yeah. <laughs> that's using it. So and there's a lot of debate around. There's a lot of information that's online saying that the withdrawal method's great, um, that the medical profession is just wanting to take your money by getting you to spend money on pills or condoms. There are a lot of conspiracy theories. But the whole thing is that it really doesn't work all that well. Um, some studies have actually looked at um, what happens with the withdrawal method. And what we find is that some men will have pre-cum that contains sperm. And so if you're having sex, uh, if you've got an erect penis anywhere near the vagina, even if it's early on, um, there's still going to be, for some guys, some sperm that's hanging around that that area. And so uh, it's going to be a lot less sperm altogether compared with a full ejaculate, um, with, a, with a full load. But, um, but yeah, you, there's still that possibility of getting pregnant from from that. One of the interesting parts of the studies that have been done is that um, some guys don't have any sperm in their pre-cum, but other guys do. And it seems to be a consistency. You'll either be in one camp or the other uh, as a a man. And so some people will go around and say, yep, it's worked for me. It's worked with my partner. We've been using the withdrawal method for 10 years and everything's been fine. And then they'll advocate that to everybody else. But then other people listening and, uh, and using the withdrawal method, they might be a guy who has a lot of sperm in their oh, pre-cum okay. and then they will fail dismally. So, so it, is a, it is a tricky topic. And we, we often will say, look, um, it's much better to use condoms. You'll be protecting yourself from other sexually transmitted infections. Um, people that are in monogamous relationships, then they're not too worried about other sexually transmitted infections, but pregnancy is a big issue. Um, and yeah, like, there, there are so many contraception options out there. A lot of women get, um, get afraid of using them. Uh, a lot of men get afraid of uh, having a vasectomy or um, there's there's a few other options that are around the corner for guys as well. Uh, but yeah, it's something that if, if you're using a contraception option and it's not working for you, then there are a whole range of other ones that you can use as well. So it's important to chat with your doctor and, and see exactly what's, what's working, what's not working. And um, yeah, see 
see what the best one is for you. Dr. Brad, there was a study recently that basically said that um, most guys are not too smart when it comes to knowing what their female partners are using for contraception. It was something like 1% to 2% actually knew what sort of contraception their partner was taking. That sounds kind of crazy, but... I think that's quite fascinating, <laughs> and I think it's it's bad for, for my gender. Yes. <laughs> I think that, speaking on behalf of men, we need to be a little bit better with that. I, I think um, the there's a hesitancy there for men to to even discuss contraception. One issue is that it seems to be a women's issue. So like pregnancy, women's bits, um, guys don't tend to talk about it. Like if, if you're talking about periods, guys just shy away from that completely. Like men just freak out. Don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. It's like out of sight, out of mind. Um, they just put their fingers in their ears and <laughs> sing la 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 and, and just try to, to, to uh, keep away from it. <laughs> but uh, but it's something that, um, that we, as, as men, like we also don't want to be putting our opinion on that as well. I think um, we're not wanting to, to say, oh, well, you should be taking this. You should have an implant. You should have an IUD. Uh, so guys just sort of, like one, Keep we, we of don't, often don't know much about it because we haven't had that experience or exposure. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like keeping out of that, that women's area. So it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you're maybe too involved, then that might not be a good thing. But well, I think... have basic involvement, surely. Yeah, we sort of, if you're in a heterosexual couple, you should sort of like want to know what your partner's taking or, or not taking. Uh, yeah, like how things are going. And I think it's worthwhile having those conversations with your partner and sort of working out what's going on. Um, pregnancy doesn't just affect one person, it affects two people. And um, yeah, I think it's it's uh, really prudent to have uh, a, an open conversation about it and work out, yeah, what, what uh, the female in the couple is doing, taking, um, what their plans are, if, it, if it's working, if, it, if the hormones that they're taking are changing their mood, um, if it's changing their libido. Um, there's a whole range of different side effects that can happen from contraception as well. And um, if, if that's not discussed in a couple, then uh, if you're started something and then you're having less sex because you're getting side effects, then the guy, if they don't know what's going on, they'll think that they're to blame. So it, it's important to like when different things are going on, when, when you're changing contraception, to also discuss it with your partner as well. Well, that's it. I mean, sex and contraception is something that should be openly discussed in any healthy relationship. Now, can we talk about PrEP? Now, you're heavily involved in the PrEP trial, which is taking a pill a day to stop yourself from getting HIV. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so um, there's not been much publicity about this. Um, it's mainly uh, used for people who are at high risk of HIV. So that's for um, usually gay men um, who are having multiple partners um, or for uh, even heterosexual people as well uh, if 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 somebody, there's a lot of partners that are around where one person has HIV and the other person doesn't. So, um, so we're we're finding that prep is an option, uh, another option for decreasing down the the chance of getting HIV. So, um, we're doing a trial at the moment in Australia. So, in in New South Wales, it's called the Epic Trial. Um, there are a lot of different trials all around different states, and it's where we're testing people uh, every few months for different sexual transmitted infections to make sure that we're treating and 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 uh, diagnosing diagnosing uh, those issues first. Um, but yeah, making sure that they're taking tablets that can prevent them from getting HIV. So
So uh, for for gay men, uh, it takes about five days of, of the medication to get up to appropriate levels where it provides that protection for them. And then if they're having unprotected sex uh, and happen to come across HIV, if it's if that gets into their body, then with the medication at, a, a, at an appropriate level, it just stops HIV at, in, the, in its tracks at that point of time. So it stops it from taking hold, stops it from getting into the white cells and then um, replicating and then spreading throughout the entire body. So we've, we've found that there, we've had about 100,000 people around the world on PrEP, um, just taking the one tablet a day. And we've over that time, we've had about four cases of people who have got HIV from being on this medication. So it's been a significant, um, yeah, significantly successful. It's not 100% perfect. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is one other way to, to stop new cases of HIV from occurring. So that's it for this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And please do check out our other podcasts on the HuffPost Network. I am in love with Breaking the Ice at the moment. It's our um, environmental... Climate change. Climate change. It's really full on, but it's incredible. So Mm -hmm. check it out.